Hello, and welcome to another edition of the 16-Ounce Canvas. This is the Art of Craft Beer podcast. My name is AJ Kierens. That has not changed. I'm your host here. Each and every week as we do our part to introduce you to the artists and designers from around the craft beer world who help bring our favorite beers and breweries to life. This week is no different. It is an exciting episode for us. It is episode number 69, 70 y Nueve, featuring Peter Bissell of, yes, you guessed it, folks, Bissell Brothers. This is a unique episode because of Pete's unique role with the company. Obviously, one of the co-founders and co-owners, really responsible for a lot of the branding, design. He works with the local artists and deals a lot of the the business aspect. And you know, Noah is the creative force. You know, who's making the amazing beers, which are Bissell Brothers. We talked to Pete about a lot of cool stuff. How he got started working with his brother, High Roller, being a dad, and just a number of cool things challenges my perspective on branding some of the things that we thought you know were before maybe not be moving forward and it was great it was a really good opportunity to speak to somebody i admire we've come to love you know maine it's a family stable for us we go there every year we continue to increase our time we go there every year and look forward to our next trip in a few weeks We've met some awesome artists you know, up there. We've had Will and Heidi on before. We'll have some of the other artists on in the future. You know, work with Liquid Riot, Nova Res, and just really a lot of uh, a lot of cool stuff happening up there in Maine. If you haven't been there, obviously, you know, this is not a uh, ad for the Tourism Bureau, but check out Vacation Land. Just some great people. Quick, uh, quick hello to the folks over at the Standard Gastro Pub right outside of Harrison, Maine one of our, our staples every summer. So uh, looking forward to coming back, see what's brewing. That's usually where we have our first substance of the summer. And it's always a great time. Little anecdote, this past week, got to go to McKellar, uh, New York City at City Field. The beer was the best thing in the area, not to mention the cheesesteaks, saw the Phillies there, play the Mets, unfortunately they lost. But it was just great. There were 60 beers on tap Bissell had just done some work with them. So to see Substance have it in New York City, you know, that was a no-brainer on that world-class you know, tap list. So we definitely was great to see that. You, know, you can't turn that down. Remember, you're listening to the 16-Ounce Canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast. My name is AJ. I'm your host here each and every week. You can follow along our website, 160zcanvas.com. Excuse me. 160zcanvas on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and we use that hashtag religiously. Pound sign, tic-tac-toe, whatever it is that you're using, tag us. We will find you. We'd love to hear from you. And remember, this weekend, we are very excited to launch the Art of Craft Beer Art Gallery Show in New Haven, Connecticut. Had the wonderful and beautiful opportunity to be a part of the first round of installations with some incredible artists. The gallery is coming to life. It will be a special moment, and we're happy to be able to share it with you. So for more information on that, theartofcraftbeer.com. We just announced on the 21st, we'll have Dan Blakesley performing there. But just as a new announcement, Dan's art will be featured at the gallery, featuring the original OG, very first 
Hetty Topper sketch. So very excited to have that and share that with you. So like I said, 11 incredible artists really trying to bring this adventure to life. But we'll get you more information about that because you're listening to episode number 69, Pete Bissell. You can follow along with him at Peter Jensen Bissell on Instagram, Bissell Brothers or BissellBrothers.com. So let's just get into it. I think it's a good one. It is a long one, folks. So make sure you have a few cold ones. I would say for our pairings, this one definitely pairs with a nice road trip or a hike, or maybe you're just playing hooky today and you know starting to drink a little early. You know, whatever it is, hopefully it's relaxing. The voice is, is said to be soothing, so hopefully it is. And if not, we'll work on that. But let's get right into it. Episode 69. <laughs> and uh, Pete Bissell, right here at the 16-ounce canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the 16-ounce canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast. Very excited to have with us today, Pete Bissell, founder, uh, co-founder, and owner of Bissell Brothers in Portland, Maine, and we'll be expanding to Milo, Maine uh, later this summer. So really excited. Thanks so much for joining us, Pete. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, so this is a unique situation, you know, for us because you're, you know, you're involved, you know, heavily with the day-to-day as well as the branding. And me me personally, the, the first time I uh, experienced Bissell was uh, on One Industrial. It was really early on, I believe. It was about... Summer 2014, it was right after Sierra Nevada's beer camp. And so I, I remember, you know, visiting, you know, we had done the tours of the, the other breweries in the, the hangars there and everyone was saying to, to yep. check you guys out. You know, Subby was really popular at that point. And it was, uh, our, yep. you know, when we go, every summer we go to Harrison, Maine. So it's, uh, and then we, we uh, kick over to, you know, do a day in, in Portland. So it was really nice to to kind of follow along and see the see the evolution of the of the beer and the brand, so it's just uh, it's nice to kind of come full circle and have you be uh, a part of the project. Oh, that's great to hear that that was your first time um, out to see us. That was uh, really the first summer of the tasting room, um, and it was still very shoot from the hip. Um, so we're kind of uh, with Milo getting ready to open. We're uh, very much uh, kind of back because we don't know what to expect. So. Uh, that's 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 funny. Yeah, I remember that fast vividly. That was the first time I'd been down to Thompson's Point. Um, I if you were there, that was uh, you probably remember that amazing sunset that night. Um, that's uh, that's that's funny that that was your first experience with uh, with the company. That's great. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we didn't go to the fast because I I, I, I we, but uh, bring the wife and kids, and so I remember just going, oh. having you know just kind of first started dipping my foot into the the beer trading and. You know, it came. You know, the substance was the you know was the rave at that point, and I think because of the success of the fest, you guys had run out of substance. And so, I remember uh, Baby Genius. It was you know, they was like, oh, we have Baby Genius on tap, and it's yeah. a it's a blonde ale. And I was like, oh, I don't really think I like blonde ales, but I was like, I'm here, let's yeah. <laughs> give it a go. And at that point, I think I was hooked because it was like, well, it kind of flipped my thought of what I thought I liked and you know what I didn't. So that really kind of just mm-hmm. was an early kind of just like, all right, well they're they're gonna make it and it's good so we'll see you know if they, they think it's good then i'm willing to kind of uh you know dip the tail in and give it a try so yeah i'm a i'm definitely a you know a baby genius uh super fan now so it worked out oh, well that's great that can't got a fun story too yeah yeah that's awesome um, and what early on, I really liked that you guys were doing with, with the, the cans. Cause I think, I think it was really, uh, f- for, you know, help with, with scale was, 
and it wasn't being done as much. You had kind of the core can, and then you were utilizing the you know the, the sticker uh, the sticker model, which I thought was really really smart. And not as many folks were, were doing that. I think it really allowed to have some creativity, but also you know probably uh, from a storage perspective, you were able to. You, know, you didn't have to have you know buy mass uh, quantities of all the different cans, especially early on. You didn't need to take on that additional overhead. Yeah, you know, to anyone that um, that paints cans um, or the, or that gets painted cans in the industry, they know it's it's um, you never know what you're going to get in terms of lead times. It's a very tumultuous industry right now. Um, you know, there's only a few aluminum producers worldwide, and there's all these different brokers. Um, it, it's crazy. So out of the gate, we knew that we really wanted a painted flagship can, even though we you know we were starting on a really small scale. Uh, that was in the game plan from day one after we weighed all our options with packaging. And, you know, we just said, well, okay, we don't have the money for a big line out of the gate. Um, so we started with a very rudimentary manual canning line from our partner, Wild Goose, who we, um, are still, you know, very much working with and, and happy with. They've been a big uh, help to us. Uh, so we we decided, okay, we're going to do cans no matter the cost. And we had run out of money, so the cost was in hours <laughs> um, of, of manually canning all day long. Uh, and don't regret it for a minute. Like you said, there weren't that many cans in the market at the time. Um, we had Baxter canning, Um and then I think Shipyard was canning, but I mean, where does Shipyard even can? I don't think it's a name. I don't even know. Right. Um, but at the time, it was uh, there. There weren't a lot of cans around, so uh, definitely not the first in any category. But maybe the first brewery um, like like us to can can uh, sixteen ounces up in Maine. So that was uh, it. Was a labor. It was a lot of work. Um, and again, it was, you know, I, I know a lot more about getting canned <laughs> right, now yeah, than you ever thought was possible. Um, yeah. But at the time, it was just like, okay, you know, it was my first product that I designed. Uh, it was the first, you know, it was the one beer that Noah had been focused on brewing for pretty much the year and a half um, that we spent building the business before we, before launch. Um, so, yeah, it was really exciting when the first substance cans came when the first substance cans were filled it was surreal um for, from a design perspective for me too because it was like i you know i laid this out and uh it was after months and months and months of working with this image in photoshop and this graphic it was actually on the product it was so exciting um and then um yeah the white can was the second can also painted and uh, you know we really didn't know what we were doing the sticker had to be applied manually so it was like an assembly line of like little elves working to put the sticker on. And, and of course, now we have a labeler. And if I had made the blank area horizontal, not vertical, we could have gotten some help um, with. But automation wasn't even in the wheelhouse at that point. Uh, you know, in 2014, we were just trying to get this shit out in any way possible. So, uh, yeah, we thought nothing of calling some buddies up on canning days and, ma and building this assembly line of, uh, of workers manually um, filling the cans, stickering them and packing them up. So it's fun to look back. It's, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Now there's over, you know, if I do the math, probably whatever, 20 different, you know, cans that you have out, you know, available. Is that, is that a 
rough number? I think our core, like the beers that we're making uh, year-round, mm-hmm. um, our portfolio is at like probably 15 or 16, and that doesn't include beers like Dangle and Seed and Angels, which are like once-a-year drops. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we... Um, and we'll continue to do more. We've, we've, uh, um, but we, and we, we've, uh, we've got some special stuff in the works. I can, I got I can, a, I can imagine. Got a, yeah. got a special beer coming out in a few weeks, but we don't, you know, we, we like to paint cans if we make them year round. Um, of course that comes with it. You, you gotta have a, a place to put the empties. Um, but white cans save you money. I, I personally believe from a design perspective, that there's nothing like the painted can. Um, stickers are great. Stickers have numerous advantages, but I feel like if you're, you know, we kind of believe in brands. Um, we, a lot of breweries nowadays are, are just doing different cans, different different beers every week, multiple times a week, and that's great. Uh, but we, um, our sort of uh, ethos goes more to towards, yeah, you got to drop new stuff in, but. Uh, you got to build brands. You got to, you got to allow someone to get a can or get a beer that they had before that they want to get again. And that's just how we, how we do it. So that leads to more investment in warehouse space for painted cans. Um, I think we have seven painted cans now, and then we're getting our lagers painted and preserve and protect painted as well. Nothing gold, the painted nothing gold arrives next week, I think. Oh, that, that can's great. So. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah, I think early on, I mean, even when you're talking about the the importance of branding. I mean, I noticed, like I said, from that first trip, it, you know, obviously you said it was you know makeshift, and you're kind of just learn as you went. But it had a really, you know, industrial, almost had a little you know, skate park vibe to it. You know, with the the spray mm. paint in the murals, which now, you know, at the at the at the in the tap room, you, know, you have some you know, great murals in there, and you know the the metal you know logo and the, the tap panels. I really think that. You know, from an early early stage, you've been really consistent with with that with the branding and imaging, and I think it's carried over. It really has a abyssal feel to it, which is great. Mm. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, you know, it's um, I don't know. It I can't put a hammer to nail. Um, I'll definitely say that on the record. Um, I've learned a little bit, but it's it's um, it's about working with people that can execute a vision and also help you define the vision you know so i i um i like to think that i i've made my mark on the what it feels like to visit Bissell brothers or, or drink Bissell brothers beer and i can somewhere else um but I, I would not have been able to really express this stuff without the people that i work with um on that whether it's forest stone um our wood and metal worker in portland um, working on that wall and just really creating something that I've never seen before. I don't think any, anyone's really seen something like that before. Or our artists uh, like Heidi Green, uh, Brett LaBelle, who I designed, who, who did a lot of that graffiti that you're talking about at the first location. Um, he has um, murals at the new location. Uh, Mike Hamaker, Flat Color One, um, also known as Flat Color One. Um, a lot he you know he definitely made his mark on the uh on the um thompson's point space as well as uh the the backsplash facade and milo is also influenced by his piece tropicana which i sort of remixed onto our industry versus inferiority can and uh, the list goes on so um i yeah i'd like to think that i've uh i've 
built a um, a uh, sort of a a good feel uh, of what the brand feels like to accompany Noah's beers, but I couldn't, you know, I, I don't, uh, I can't draw, I can't um, bring these things to life in the way that um, the our artists that I work with have. So it's a uh, it's a good balance. Um, I like working with uh, people that that can do things I can't like draw on some cans. And then I like doing some other ones myself. So uh, it's, it's exciting to collaborate. And it's also, I feel like the collaboration inspires me for the work that is from me from start to finish. So, yeah. And I think that one of the big kind of driving undertones, which I love, and as I mentioned, we've probably been going to Maine now for, I think about six years and we've increased mm-hmm. the amount of time we spend in Maine every year. Um, but really is, your, your love of your, your home and your state, you know, I think in, in using local artists and, you know, local products and local, you know, goods, it's really, uh, you know, it's, re- it's really nice to see that, you know, I think it's, it's kind of almost, you know, the, the local tourism, you know, bureau, I mean, with, without being so, you know, obvious, you know, so main, 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 but I mean, if you look at everything that's happening there, the artists, you know, even the food, you know, the food, you know, really kind of mm. your, your impact on, on Maine has been really just kind of a, a great, you know, tip of the cap to, you know, your home, which I think, you know, makes, makes it even better. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Um, I mean, you, you, it gets back to that um, sort of like the thought that I was just going on is you got to do something, you got to elicit a feeling from someone with to accompany the product you're selling and we from day one out in the garage bay you wanted to build a world that people took note of in a world of plenty man we don't want for anything nowadays like look at the stuff in the media um i mean yeah some of it's important but i mean where it's like we're life is so good and we have everything we could ever want that we're like inventing things to be outraged about and complain about and um so we, we uh, from a material standpoint, especially, it's like we live in a world of plenty, like the things that we complain, this, you know, the concept of like first world problems, right? We're just looking for shit to complain about because uh, life is so good objectively. Um, um, but uh, so we've got all these things. How do you make someone care? Um, how, do you, how, how do you give someone an experience that is worth talking about is how I always think. So it, um, it goes hand in hand with the products that are, that are being made. You got to immerse someone in a world, whether it's for 20 minutes while they're standing in a line to get some cans and leave, or whether they're there for the afternoon, you want to give them something worth talking about. Um, and I think that goes hand in hand with Maine too. Like, all right, we do everything we do for our local fans, but we also have all these people coming to Maine every summer, you know, we're, we're just getting into that season now and they feel it. They feel it when it's like, okay, this is a local spot. They've got this special thing. Uh, and it makes them happy too. You know, think about it. When you travel, I always try to get the scoop from the ground level. Like where, where are the real joints to go? Not the tourist spots. Like where, where's the, where are the real things? So um, I'd like to think that we're not a, um, you know, a, uh, not to, you know, I know this is an industry unto itself, but, uh, you know, like the route one touristy places with the gimmicks in the yard and stuff like that. I'd like to think we're not like that, but we're a place where, uh, um, Portland locals that are into beer are posted up at all the time. And 
the the bump that everyone gets from the tourism that Maine sees in the summer, they feel that too. So um, when you're when you're committed to your local community and the local customers day in day out year round, visitors feel that vibe and everyone wins. I mean, the locals might complain about having to, you know, it might be busier in the summer. I've done it too. You know, we all know that uh, um, it's part of what makes Portland Portland and allows us to have all these food and drink destinations year round is because of the bump we get in the summer. Um, so everyone kind of gripes about all the out of state plates on commercial street every summer, but we know this is important. So it's great because I feel like, uh, when you when you commit to the local scene, everyone wins because that's what people want to feel and see for themselves when they travel. I know I do when I go anywhere. It's like, all right, where where do uh, the people in the brewing industry go to eat? You know, um, what's the local hang? So I feel like we we can touch on all all places with when when you lean into who's supporting you day in day out year round. Yeah, it, it makes total sense, and you know even. As you're talking about, you know, local. I mean, and when I was I was up there, I guess I'm trying to think. It was actually nice to be there off season. I think I was there in in, in February. Uh, I came up and went to the art installation at uh, Oxbow, and so that was. If I remember, yeah, if, yeah, yeah, they do a great job. Yeah, if it was, if I remember correctly, I think it was uh, when Preserve and Protect came out. It was right around the Super Bowl, and so yeah, it was mm-hmm. nice to kind of be up there when it wasn't warm and be with the locals, and it was just kind of. I mean, the line life, as they call it, you know, waiting for beers, it kind of sucks, but it was pr- just in, more as a conceptual idea. But it was just really a night. It was really just well run, and it wasn't, you know, it was uh, you know, your front of house folks are just, you know, they killed it. You know, it was really just, uh, I've be, being in New England, you deal a lot of shit and like in, in lines, which, <laughs> and with kids and stuff, it's just, I mean, it's good. You know, I don't get as much time going, bearing it up as I used to. And so it was just nice to kind of, they gave updates. Hey, this is what's going on. Hey, we're going to get you in. It was like, oh, what, what the hell? So, I mean, I definitely, uh, That's awesome. Cam and the crew, I think they're doing a great job. So, yeah, it was nice to. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, we, we, uh, really try to, uh, cater to, to families. We got that kids' corner in there. Um, I, 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 the way I see it, I, I feel like you always, you, you have an idea in your head of what the customer feels and, and hopefully you're hoping that it lines up. I don't think it'll ever line up exactly. But um, the idea is to make those overlap somewhat. And I, I feel like um, for families and, uh, um, peop- you know, uh, bringing kids in that we offer a good situation because it's not, it's not Chuck E. Cheese. We're not dumbing anything down. Um, you know, you might hear the F-bomb in, in music. Like, we don't really – it's a bar, um, but it's not a late-night crazy joint. I'm all, it gets crazy during the day. I'm sure you've seen it. But uh, – um, you know, there's there's video games that are free. There's it's it's big and open. I mean, like we could put more seating in there, but we don't want to make it feel like a cluster. And you know, there's space to park if you have strollers or if you have the shit that that you have to bring with with a child, as I know full well. Um, I feel like we can accommodate you. And um, you know, we there's free snacks and juice boxes for the kids. For those in the know, I try to. If I have a minute and there's a line or whatever, I, I try to um, get that stuff out to families because uh, it's tough. You know, we don't – the line thing is a whole other thing, which I we're on the tail end of that. Uh, not just us. I think the industry in general. There's just so much good beer out there that uh, um, I think we're on the end of that being a thing in general. Um, it'll always be a thing for special releases and uh, 
you know, yearly annual beers and whatnot. Um, not just from us, from, from anyone that develops a following over beer, but as a whole, as of that being like the day in day out thing, like, I think we're on the, we're on the tail end of that being a thing, but, um, it still is for some beers. Um, it definitely was on Saturday and, uh, this is actually for on most Saturdays for us still. So, um, we've worked hard to uh, throw everything we can at it. And, uh, yeah, um, it's always... really make it an easy experience and, and, and stay flexible with, okay, there's a big line, cans only, you know, no merch sales, no draft sales. We got to work through this line and then we'll open it up. Cause that's what slows it down is when you're offering all services is what we discovered. So on, on known busy days for known popular beers, it's cans only to start. And you would not believe how fast the line moves It. uh, we really cut through it. We'll process a thousand people in 90 minutes. So yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, I definitely, proud of that. yeah. From comparing other situations, it was just, and that's one of the things I have to, um, I, I've noticed is that there are these bumps in you know, your, your, the learning process, but even I mean, if, if you follow Pete on, um, on Instagram, Peter Jensen Bissell, you know, I think that you show some of the thing, you know, you show some of the learning process, your thought process, how you're trying to evolve, you know, as as a man and a father, but also from a business perspective, and I think that that's, I think that makes why, I know personally I want to support the business because it is thoughtful. It is it's not just a transactional relationship. It's much more, and that that's part. I mean, I think that's part of the brand. You know, I think that other folks who run their businesses, which is fine. You know, they use their social as just kind of, you know, as always advertisements. You know, trying to be subtle about it. Yeah. But I think that it's very obvious. You know the appreciation for things. You know, before we talk about first world problems and you know really the how good things really are. And I think that you know, especially as a as a father, you see like what's really important and you know how to look at things. Mm-hmm. And so I think that you know that's one of the the reasons I was excited to, to get to talk to you because you know I've bought some of those books that you've posted. You haven't read all of them, mm-hmm. but I just think it's nice to to look at somebody else's you know uh, lenses or perspective on the world. And I think it's been really. I think it, you know, it's really helpful. And so it's, uh, it's, oh, it's, I appreciate that, man. I mean, yeah, it's there. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm from the world of commercial photography. Um, I still try to shoot every day for the businesses. Um, it's, uh, my first passion a hundred percent. And, um, I really tried to translate that into telling the story of Bissell brothers and now high roller. And, um, and then my personal, uh, Instagram again, it's, it's for me. Um, it's for me, it always has been, um, it's a lot of stuff about the businesses because that honestly is is my life, but it's also my family life and uh, what I'm reading. And, uh, really I I am a huge proponent. Uh, I mean, I, I know nothing, you know, I'm I know maybe slightly more than I did last year and last year I knew slightly more than I did the year before. But when you adopt that mentality of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a student forever. There's so much that I want to learn about, um, you, there's so many aspects of my own business that I want to learn more about, you know, brewing, you know, I'm not a skilled brewer by any means. Um, I, I maybe I I know more about beer and the process of making beer than the average person. Uh, but I'm not a brewer, you know, so you're, you know, I've got that on the docket for when I have the time, um, uh, just as, as one example, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's there. Uh, but, but yeah, I don't, uh, especially for my own personal Instagram. I don't, that's for me. That's just a, a, a journal of stuff that I, I post a lot. I, I, I do. There's, there's so much cool shit around um, and uh, uh, cool visuals. So 
um, uh, thank you for that. But uh, yeah, no, it's there if uh, people are interested. Uh, but again, it's uh, you got the business one that is just about the world of Bissell Brothers and, and High Roller, just about the restaurant. But mine is is uh, everything. So yeah, no, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, um, again, it's just about telling that story. But not expecting anything back. I don't. Yeah. No. I think. I think the. I don't, I, I don't care. I don't care if you follow me or. Uh, right. I, I honestly don't. It's for me. So. Yeah. I think the journal. Looking at it as a journal is a great way. That's. Uh, yeah. We try to do that with our family. We. You know. We. You have an annual hashtag we use, and so then we can. You know. Tell the whole family when they use it. You know. For their pictures, and we try to. You know. Put them together. Yeah, every every yeah. year to kind of look back yeah. on. You know all the cool shit that we did. Yeah. Now, now taking a step back, you may, obviously I don't know if everyone you know is aware, um, but you know you used to, or you still are a photographer. I don't say used to that would be like, but how did you kind of get into photography? I mean, that was your your first passion, and before you and Noah kind of put all your chips in, you know that was your your business. So you know how did uh, how did you kind of fall in love with photography? Yeah, I mean, like I uh, my mom got me a Canon Rebel for college. I, I started best excuse me i started messing around with it in college um downloading uh like photoshop 3 off the the computer file sharing program and um pirating uh software in that realm for um just beginning to tinker i remember like my roommate and i i would alter photos of him skateboarding and uh, that was kind of my first foray into photoshop and uh um graphic design and then uh, I got got my first DSLR as a graduation present in 2006, and um, that that was I started doing a few portrait sessions, and um, that that was what I wanted to do. And I was more concerned with um, just getting a job, and and that was when I entered sort of the restaurant industry and uh, uh, began waiting tables. And then I came, you know, after a few years of just living as an adult and not being in school, I, I began to kind of get serious about it in 2000. My first wedding was in like 2006, 2007. Um, and then I really started trying to move into a realm where that was my income in 2009, 2010. And that was the, the wilderness time, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. A lot of my income, uh, most of my income was photography, especially 2009, 10, 11. Um, that was, that was it. That was what I was doing. So, um, and it's always been, uh, unconventionally self-taught online tutorials, trial and error. Um, yeah, I, uh, the older I get, I, I have a weird way of learning. Um, I still make graphic design harder, I think than it needs to be, but it's just what works for me. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I learned, um, and we don't really promote other podcasts, but I think it's like all things Portland was one of the ones, you know, I think that you're wrong with uh, some of the comedians, which was really, uh, Oh, that was, um, uh, Portland famous. Yeah, that's what it was. was. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, that was really, that was a, and so I remember I, I learned about that and kind of, you know, you were kind of finally, the business was up and run, you know, you kind of had your, your niche and, yeah. and then you kind of were at that crossroads, which I'm very happy you, uh, you know, made that, made that very ballsy decision, but, uh, it was, yeah, very, uh, yeah. worked out. Now you and again, like I'm you, sorry. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. Because I was going to change. Something. I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> um, I was saying about the the photography and just kind of thank you, thanking you for going, uh, putting, you know, making a very ballsy decision to open a brewery, especially at that time. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just kind of like reached somewhat of a stride. And then that's when Noah and I started talking. And he was like, I, I don't want to, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be a brewer and I, I don't want to do it. I want to just do it ourselves. I don't want to go work for someone else. So I, I said, well, fuck it. Um, and I began pivoting immediately, like right when I was getting into like a really nice groove with uh, photography, but it felt right. You know, it was even at that time when we, we had really couldn't conceive of uh, how it would play out. And we had so much to do. We had two years of work, you know, it was a whole other education unto itself. But um, I felt like, okay, this has the potential to grow into something bigger than ourselves. So I went for it and I don't regret it for a minute. I still get to shoot. I still get to tell stories with photos, um, but um, I don't regret it at all. Uh, and I, I loved, I loved doing photography for, for work. Um, I did, but uh, you're really a freelancer when you're, when you're doing that. Um, and I, you can, you can grow it into a company, but uh, you're freelancing. And what I've learned is freelancing is very different than starting a, a bit, a company, you know, um, there's nothing, neither one's better or worse, but it's just very different. You're cause starting a company, um, you're growing, you're starting something that, that will by default grow into something bigger than yourself. Um, you'll need to employ other people and whatnot. And with photography or graphic design, oftentimes you're, you call it a business. I call it a business, but it was, I was a freelancer, you know, um, that was, it was just me. So it was really limited to how many hours in the day do I have um, is, uh, is the limiting factor where when you start a company, you scale. So yeah, I don't regret it. Um, love my time. That was where I first learned about business and marketing. That was where I first developed a passion for those things and telling a story and differentiating yourself. All these things are so important and more and more important every year. Um, that was photography running that business where again, I see I did it right there. Working as a freelance photographer was taught me so much about that and gave me that 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 base spark as to how to or to think about how to standing out to to be thinking constantly about how I can stand out. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. And when you're one person, I mean it it is your own business, but you know, sole proprietors, it's difficult because you the the, yeah. the the limitations are the f- number of hours in a day because it's only divisible by one. So you really can only, maybe, yeah. maybe have a second yeah. photographer, or, you know, you expand that way, but still. Which I mean, well, it's, it's not the worst thing. It's just, it's, it's different. It's, it's just different. You know, I was shooting weddings, getting four, four K a wedding, you know, you do 12 of those in a season. All right. There's a base salary that anyone should be happy with, you know? Um, so um, you can, you can scale it in terms of getting better at your craft to get more income and, and make your time more valuable but again, it will always be limited by your sing- you're a single person. So right. now you've you've mentioned it a few times. You know, creating something bigger than yourself is that kind of a like a is that one maybe a mantra or something that you you find yourself always kind of coming back to? Um, not always, but again, like at this moment when um, I had been talking with Noah about the idea of doing a craft brewery. Uh, this was in, you know, late 2011, I had to weigh those options. Cause I, again, I was in a career that I had worked hard at for the last two years to get a footing in. I was, I had shot constantly and constantly and, uh, really tried to promote myself. And, and I was, I was getting a lot of calls and emails. I was, I was doing it and it was fun. Um, but, um, with the, uh, the prospect of doing a brewery, 
uh, that was the, the, the one thing that was that decided it for me was, okay, I can do these things that I feel drawn to telling these stories, building this idea in people's heads, but it can, it can grow into something bigger. Um, so that was kind of the, where, okay, yeah, let's, let's take this fork in the world and go down this way and, and learn a lot and get ready for a, a period of massive rapid learning. So, and yeah, so, so that's really where, I can trace that back to that concept is the deciding factor for me to say, yes, we're, I'm going to pivot and do this. And, uh, yeah, I still can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, one of, and going back to the, the cans and the design, one of the things that I, I typically find I don't love when it's, you know, the huge point fonts and has the name of the beer. All over. It's very like aggressively like a- advertising, but, the logo, you know, your logo is really, it kind of allows you to, to have that branding without it being, you know, it doesn't have to, it says Bissell Brothers, obviously, by, by its representation, but it doesn't have to say, you know, in 96 you know, point font, Bissell Brothers, you know, Portland, Maine. So I really, where did the, where did the logo come from? I mean, I think it's, uh, it, I mean, the it's, logo? It, yeah, it stands on its own. Uh, I think it's really, I mean. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we lucked out with it. Um, so I was rotating and the font is called wicked grit and i was rotating the letter b three of them i was i was manipulating them in photoshop into the shape the initial run was or or the initial concept was the up it was upside down from the way it is now so it was a single b on top with two others sticking out on the bottom um and i was rotating them in and and that was the first logo was was the bees um in the font wicked grit linked up in the shape that they are now and we played with that for a minute and um i started doing i I had a studio at the time and in the old port so i started uh we started shooting some concept stuff because from the very beginning i knew like you know this is going to be a feel uh you know in 2012 the craft beer industry was much different than it was now but um i'd like to think that we could kind of see where it was going and so it started upside down and then we rotated it and both of us agreed that we liked that better. Um, but it was, you know, it was still based off of font and I was doing different letters. Uh, so we decided that it was better to be flipped into the shape that it is now. But I, um, I, uh, the, the B, there was still a font so that there was, it wasn't fully uniform. I really wanted it to be, symmetrical and streamlined if you can picture the letter b in a font the bottom bulb is going to be bigger than the top one so it did look a little asymmetrical um so a guy named glenn halliday operates um um a design company i I believe he's based in wyndham um he he does a bunch of stuff he he's a great uh graphic artist and vector-based designer um done a lot of logos in the area like full sort of like brand packages uh for a lot of local businesses um and uh he he uh basically made it symmetrical and cleaned it up into the the final version that it is today and the second i saw it i was like okay there it is like that's the final form of this emblem and i'm a, a huge believer that brands nowadays you know we're, we're impressed upon so many times by 
uh, advertising and by different brands, the, the, it's an ADD culture, you know, where there's all these things that we need to sift through mentally. And a brand needs to stand nowadays with an emblem. You know, it should, uh, it, it should convey a idea, um, a core ethos. People should know it with an emblem with no typeface at all. So I knew that we needed a mark. And then we had our mark. So, um, yeah, we still use typeface, of course, but you, that, that having that mark without any typeface is very important, I feel. I agree. I see, yeah, I see a lot with new breweries launching, and they have these designs, or I guess they'd call them logos, but they're really... They don't. They don't. You know, they don't stand on their own. To your point, like they, they yeah. either look too similar, like something else, or they're too simple, or a lot of times too complex. And so I, I definitely, mm. like I said, you see that across. You know, you just see someone in a parking lot, or you know, I've been to you know, different events, uh, and you see you know folks with that on, and it's like, oh, okay, you know, it's kind of. Uh, and then you're talking about your stamp. I mean, you've had folks getting that as tattoos. That's a little crazy. You know, I've seen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I got, I got it on his palm. Um, I've seen a few. Uh, I got, uh, we have staff, uh, our event manager and hospitality manager, Mike Sardinia. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I ran, uh, yeah, I ran packaging into, manager. yeah. I ran to Mike at, uh, CBC in Nashville and he, he just, yeah, I saw that. So that's, yeah. yeah, that's, uh, that's the ultimate love right there. Well, again, yeah, yeah. It's an insignia that's visually pleasing and it's curious, man. Like, again, you, you, you want to, you want people to have fun. Um, and you, you need people to be intrigued and curious. And so our, you know, before we were open, Noah and I were at the pig and we had a bunch of shirts run with our own money and passed them out to people that were interested. And, and it was like a secret club, you know, no one knew what it was. People were seeing these shirts around town. Um, yeah. I looked back on that and it was, it was fun. And it's a, a lot of the branding and marketing comes down to taking those chances and not, Deliberately, you know, like leaving things unexplained, um, especially when there are new and novel things. You know, no one knew us. No one knew who we were. So it was uh, it was time to, to plant some intrigue and get people curious. And uh, the crazy, iconic logo that doesn't look like anything else really helped. I, amen to that. And we are back. Yes, you are still listening to the 16-ounce canvas. Episode number 69, Peter Bissell, Bissell Brothers. So like I said, it's a really enjoyable episode. I really like to learn about the process, the story, perspective. As I mentioned, I'm a proud member of the, the Bissell Book Club. It's just nice to see something, have the ability to be a part of it. It's just a good episode for us to really come close to wrapping up the the sixth season. Really talking about branding and learning about how things came to be. Some, you know, the the logo, which I think is you know stands on its own. It is uh, iconic. It's a great icon. You know, you see it from miles away. Know what it is? You see it at a you know a beer share or just in line. Or I've seen it. I actually saw it randomly on one of those Now This videos. Some guy was wearing it, you know, doing a charity event, and it just I picked it out of the, the video. So it's just, uh, it's nice to see. It's a lot of fun, and really just excited to be able to support 
Thistle. You know, this weekend when you're listening to this, or depending if you listen to it in the future, obviously is the the soft launch or just the opening of you know Milo, the Three Rivers. And so we just want to wish the you know team at Bissell, you know, especially Noah and Pete and their families, you know, just uh, nothing but success on the the opening of that. I think it's a really nice you know piece. You know, I think that you know if you follow along or even just you know reading the different beers and you know experiences from you know dedicating the beer to their dad, you know, after he retired, yeah, you know where they're from and who they are is a really it's a key piece to the the Bissell brothers' success, and so. It's risky, you know, obviously going even further Maine, but as I've come to learn, especially with the idea that I'll be doing unique and different beers that you can get, you know, at the at the point, I think that'll really draw people. I mean, folks fly, drive, you know, if they had to take a boat somewhere because there's really good beer at the other other end of it, I, I definitely think people would be uh, becoming very friendly with the ferries and, you know, working that angle too, so... It's exciting, and I think it's a it's an adventure that we'll all be able to follow along with, and so wish them nothing but the best. And let's get back into it. Like I said, this is a long one. It's a good one. You know, definitely uh, tie up the boots. If you need to take a quick little pause here, you go take a piss, do what you gotta do. But you're listening to the 16 ounce canvas episode number 69, Pete Bissell, 16 ounce canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast, short and sweet. We we'll get right back into it. Cheers. Now, when when doing the the labels, you know, what is your what's the process? Because obviously, you work with a lot of local artists, and you you do some yourself. Kind of what's is that more of a, a time restraint, or is it a concept that you know that somebody else can probably do better, or that you really just a, a beer you're really passionate about? What, how do you make that decision on kind of whether you take it on or so, you you kind of collaborate with one of your your artists? I'm for what I like in design. Um, I'm a big proponent of, you know, the, the brand weaves its way through all our packaging for sure. Um, but I don't, I don't want to do something where, uh, and you know what, there's local brands that do this. It is really a matter of personal taste, but like, I don't want the same can template for every brand that we put out with a different color. So everything looks the same. It's just a different color. Do you know what I mean? Or I don't want things to look like too similar. So the brand weaves its way through every can, but every can I treat individually. Um, I think about what would be best for this beer, what type of beer is it, what ideas do I have in my head. Um, And then uh, I've got a lot of ideas just swimming around in my brain's sort of uh, back burner. And then when it comes time to do a new can, uh, I think about the beer. I think about the beer that Noah's or that we've, we've talked about, Oh, you know, this would be good to can, or, uh, this is a new idea that, that he has, uh, what, what would best suit that? And we go into each one individually and I, I treat each one as a separate project from start to finish. And I source artists accordingly. If it's something, if it's vector based line work, I'll design it myself. Um, or in the case of like uh, industry versus inferiority, I really loved the, uh, the bar line work that, uh, Mike had done in the tap room. And, um, I wanted to do that in a can and, but I wanted to do a different color gradient. I, we didn't really have a green can. And so I did the gradient and I laid it out over his line work. Um, and I cut those lines out. So it would just show the reflection of the aluminum and, um, you know, 
a lot of our cans have the big tri B on the front. Um, that's great. But for other ones, I feel like it's more appropriate to do it either subtly. I think every can has it somewhere. Um, I think every can has it somewhere, but um, some of them are really small and subtle. Like Sigil, the Sigil series is, you know, the, the tri B is very small and subtle. Uh, so yeah, that was, but, but it's very sporadic and each can is treated entirely as its own project. Uh, and that's just the way that I like to run the creative direction. And so far it's worked out. I think I'm really happy with how all our cans look. I'm really happy with that. And that's, so anyway, yeah, if I can't design it, if, if it's, if it needs drawing or if I want someone to really come in and uh, bring a totally different look, I'll go to someone that I've worked with in the past that, you know, I, I like to, I'm a big fan of working with diverse styles. So, um, you know, I would work with Heidi or uh, Sam Dunning, um, line work, you know, like illustrations. I had this picture in my head of, of, um, for here's to feeling good all the time, like a, like a scene of like, like the, the, the tap room. And, uh, Sam had that in his brain too. And he drew this almost where's Waldo esque image of our crowded tap room. And I love it. You know, it's, uh, I, I love it. There's a lot of little Easter eggs in there. Um, no one I are in there. Um, a dude with a don't drink beer shirt on is in there. Um, people with like, uh, like there's a dude wearing an Oxbow shirt. There's a dude wearing an Orno Brewing Company shirt. Um, it's great. It's fun. And, um, uh, but it's not like any of our other cans. It's not part of a series. Um, so yeah, I like to take each project as a totally blank canvas and see what comes out. And, but the brand is weaved in throughout that. It's not, they're not totally different. The brand is there and it's, it's woven, woven in together. Uh, you know, we've got a core family of fonts that we use. Um, and again, a core group of artists that we use when it's time for art that's not computer-based. So I'm, I'm proud with the portfolio. I think all the cans lined up uh, next to each other. You see that the brand is tied in, but each one's its own, its own thing. And I like that. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, they do. They all have a, a similar theme, but they're but they're not. It, like you said, it's not a cookie cutter. Just yeah. put the name of the yeah. the beer in here. And one of the the things I love is the use of the aluminum as a as an additional color. I think that you do that you know very well. You know, I think that you know. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, you got to you got to because with painting cans, exactly, you get you get six, you get six colors. So like Lux was my first time working with half tones duo tones and uh i'm really happy with how that came out but that that took me some learning but that silver's there you know so it looks so much more multifaceted it looks like fish scales right because you have this other luminosity from the, the blank metal and the same goes with stickers you use that and uh you um you want to be as flexible as you can uh so we've got blah black blank black blank cans coming in too so that can be the base as opposed to the metal um, I don't have any cans in mind for it or any beers in mind for it, but we'll have them in the, in the, in the hopper in our back pocket. And I'm going to definitely build some stickers for future beers with that black canvas in mind. So well, that's great. Yeah, you got to use that, that, um, that base color of the can for sure as a tool. Yeah. I had no idea before starting this, the, some of the limitations. And so the, you have to get, you have to get, get creative with your, you know, six or your seven colors, I think. And so I, I think you've, uh, you maximize that and it's part of the again it goes to that industrial 
vibe of the place. I think using the aluminum as a as a color, it just gives it a a nice effect. Yeah, and it's uh, it, it fits well. Yeah, my my favorite one is is probably it would have to be Swish. I think I think that can is just a real badass can, and so I think it's just it's. Some of your labels are super intricate, like you're saying with some of the artwork, but then that one, you know, in reciprocal, they're just kind of simple without, you know, that, I hate the word simple because I feel it, it minimizes it, but I think that's the the power of, of, of it is there's not as much going on and it works really great. Um, I mean, I'm a huge, yes, some cans are destined to be busy and detailed and fun to look at uh, and, and kind of pick out the details, but I definitely am a, a big fan of minimalist mantras in design um what is the saint expiry um quote um everything goes towards uh, um it is vain to do with more um it is vain to do with more that what can be done with less um uh everything is moving towards uh it, um it's not what perfection is not what you can add it's what what can you take away um just that movement towards the absolute minimum needed to express an idea and and swish is my favorite can too that i've designed soup to nuts just for that reason it's uh it's everything you need to be iconic and powerful everything that the beer is um and nothing more and um uh, i i love all our cans like i said and each one has a really unique story but um for the designs that i've done soup to nuts swish definitely is there um, I really love how it looks. He's got the beer name, which was definitely inspired by like uh, the alien writing and like uh, movies like uh, District Nine was definitely what inspired that uh, the word, you know, it's written down the side of the can. But if you look at it vertically, it looks kind of like an alien language. And I, I loved it. And uh, and then beyond that, everything else on the can is only what's legally necessary. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm psyched on it. It's powerful um i'd like to think it's become an icon uh in the uh in the world of double ipa can art yeah like i i'm a i'm a big fan of uh as you said the minimalism i think it just that can there's you know it's black it's it, it's it's bad it's just it's got a little edge to it you know but it, it's not you know it doesn't have it has like a little metal to it you know it, it just it, it's yeah. great so I, I i can see why that's your your favorite and you can just take, you can take this stuff from anywhere. I mean, like um, Reciprocal was literally inspired by, um, people always say Supreme, but it was inspired by a, a Colgate toothpaste tube. I looked at it one night and I'm like, man, that red and white looks sick. Like, uh, and at the time, like that was the next can up and the, the color scheme hadn't been used before by us anyway. Uh, so that was literally where that, that came from. Again, like Reciprocal is a very simple design, a modified uh, typeface. Um, showing, you know, like a, a circle arrow um, symbolizing reciprocity and then an up arrow and a down arrow. And, uh, yeah, that was all you really need, you know, so. Yeah. Now, with the red and white, you know, that's a good kind of transition into your other business, uh, you know, High Roller. My recent trip, I, you know, made sure I, you know, stopped over the the, the new location. Oh, and, I mean, another great example of, of the branding. And, I mean, the entire place, I mean, even – with the huge lobster claw that uh, I believe um, Brett made, you Brett know, right, yep. right, yeah, everything, you know, even from the you know the uniforms to the you know to the bar, everything has a kind of consistent branding to it. It really fits that red and white, clean pops. It's really just, uh, it's really great. 
thanks, man. Yeah, we um, that was scramble. That was a scramble because uh, we got the space, and um, I had made the choice to to go on this if I could legally. There was some legal BS to go through just because of uh, liquor laws that don't make any sense. But um, it was legal. Um, uh, we knew it was, and uh, we. Um, I, I don't think the burden really should be on us to prove that, but we had to, and we did um, to the um, the state liquor agency. So, um, um, but it was, uh, it was a scramble and I'm really happy with it, how, how it came out and we're getting ready to do it again because we're going through that wall actually and expanding the floor space of the restaurant and then doing a deck. So there'll be more aesthetic stuff to, to work on. And, um, uh, the, um, my two partners, there are great to work with. Um, they all very much understand how important this stuff is. And, um, it's really fun to work with them on, the aesthetics of the space. Um, uh, I can't remember. I'm trying to think of like who came up with these different initial ideas. Um, but uh, Mike Hamaker did the checker, the checkerboard painting on the wall. Um, I think it was Baxter. At, you know, we wanted a TV, but we wanted the ability to cover it. We didn't just want a TV always playing. So we um, came up with the HR tile wall, the slide over it. Um, I'm really happy with that, how that came out. I remember Baxter did like a a mock-up animation on his computer of like a, a TV, a clip art TV on the wall and with the things sliding over. And so um, very much, I don't know, with design in general. Uh, and I really argued this as a photographer, um, the industry will push you into thinking you need all kinds of gear, all kinds of training. Um, but it's about, you, none of that shit matters. Like I, I wrote, the only I was blogging a, a decent amount when I was doing photos and the only piece that really got picked up was called how to be a photographer when everyone's a photographer. And, uh, it was, it talked about this, you know, it's, you know, it's, you are constantly told you need more gear, more lenses, new camera bodies. And it's like, man, I'm still rocking a 15 year old camera body. It's, it's, uh, and I'm not, if you want to be up on every new thing, that's great. You know, you, you do need different lenses to produce different effects, but it's about your ideas. If you got nothing to say, then you got nothing to say. No gear or, or design school certificate or diploma is going to help that, you know? So um, again, my design is very, like I'm talking about with like getting inspired by a toothpaste, uh, a toothpaste tube and I design shit in raster very messily, you know, um, I make it harder on myself but it's about what you have to say and, and what, and that is what design is. That's what's, what photography is, is you're, you're saying something or telling a story and it's really less about the means than do you have anything to say? So yeah, okay. it's always unconventional. These designs are always unconventional, uh, but that's, that doesn't matter. So. Right. And I, and one of the things I kind of come to learn is obviously especially with, you know, the, the beer or even, you know, the, the food at, you know, at high roller, like if it was shitty, like you could have the best branding, but that's only going to maybe get people to come the first time, maybe even the second time. So, you know, it's an off batch or, you know, just had a yeah. choice on the menu, but the, you know, what you're saying or what you're providing has to, you know, have the same level of, you know, quality to it. So I think that's really, really, you know, important, you know, the branding, yeah it, intensify, well, it mean, intensifies it. I'm a huge defender of this. Um, because, uh, I don't know, I think it was Peter Thiel that, you know, like broke everyone down into, for the sake of an argument, you know, you're either an engineer or a salesman and, you know, engineering minds are very necessary, 
Um, but I think they, um, and, and vice versa, you know, you got sales minds that are, that maybe don't think as much about the actual product and the importance of the quality of work and how that differentiates the product there. It's just, oh, it's beer, it's beer, it's beer. And then you have engineers, the engineering mindset that, uh, um, and my brother's very much an engineering mind in that he's very much a, a, a brewer and thinking about this beer. But the difference with him, what I love is that he gets all this. He gets that there's this whole other side to it that is just as important um, because you're drinking an idea, you know. Uh, I mean, I love doing research on like blind taste tests. Um, there's tons of, of stuff back in like before the long tail era when there was like two dominant brands that battled in pretty much every industry and the blind taste testing and how it f totally fucks up people's conception of what they're even having uh, when you remove the brand. And it's just fascinating to me. And a lot of people, it makes people uncomfortable. You know, people like to think that they make their choices completely objectively based on product quality. And it's just not true. Um, so I, I love this concept of trying to, to, to build an idea of something that's cool. And I think, again, with this crowded market that we're in, not just in beer and literally any product conceivable, you need to have both because there's so much good stuff out there that you've got to be on the cutting edge of uh, the actual product development and execution. So Noah and the, the team making this beer, I, I feel like are really making that easy for me and that it is some of the best stuff around for the styles and then you have to i try my best to finish that off with building environments that they drink the beer in that are notable and incredible and cans themselves that no matter where they go tell our story and make the drinker feel unique and special like they're part of something raw uh, again like i don't i think each can feels unique and feels sort of raw because it is it wasn't just cranked out off some design template it's you know thrown together in raster or hand drawn and scanned uh, and i think i'd like to think that people can feel that about us you know like we're we're more streamlined and more of a quote-unquote real company than we've ever been uh but we're still we're still scrappy you know we're, we're um, I feel like a lot of brewers, as they get bigger, they try they, they try to be more corporate because that's, um, I feel like, what they think they should be doing because none of us really know. None of us come from some business background, mostly. Um, that's the other thing that we're all kind of figuring out now is how to manage and how to scale and how to um, make this sustainable as we've been started in these garage bays but are now operating sizable companies with lots of employees and um, a thicker cash flow and trying to figure out, okay, how do we make this? I, I don't have any experience in these other areas. <laughs> so, yeah. But um, yeah, I like to think that people can feel the, uh, definitely feel what went into it from a, um, a, a technical standpoint and a creative standpoint on the product. And also that, okay, like this is raw, you know, this is raw. This was um, designed with, in, with purpose and intention um, from uh, start to finish. So, yeah, I think that the craft beer industry has a lot of, um, armchair quarterbacks or kind of internet muscle folks. And so I think that what you're doing is raw. And I think that it's, you know, you're, I don't know, it's just honest, which I think is another quality that's not all, you know, it's not, 
you, yeah. you have a business and you, before you're talking about building a community and, you know, having, you know, locals as well as out of folk, out of town folks appreciate it. I, I think that that with that comes, you know, the, the rawness and the imperfections, you know, that there, you take some chances. Oh, you, know, yeah. you don't always hit a home run, right? If, you know, in baseball, if you, you know, if you three out of 10, you know, you're a hall of famer. So, I mean, I think that that gets a lot of times, you know, forgotten and people, you know, just because there is so much, you know, out there, good beer now that folks get pretty, uh, pretty aggro about yeah. stuff. It's a little, you know, we talked about before first world problems. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And I can't, you know, again, you talked about family and, uh, one of the good things is, I don't know. I'm, I don't care if people have kids or not. Um, in fact, don't have kids because there's only so many daycare slots and <laughs> this, yeah. this and that, but, uh, um, being a parent in an ownership position in beer is, I feel like it's helpful because it keeps you balanced. Um, it, you got to go home, you know, um, and I can never go down that road all the way to sort of like the negative craft beer. I, that will never be me. Um, I can't go there. I can't do that stuff. I can't get an argument on, with strangers over beer and all that stuff. Like, and that, you know what, um, those, that top 5% of beer maniacs, they're tastemakers. They help spread ideas. You know, they definitely like play a, a part, but I, I just, I can't go there. Um, I've got other things beyond just living my life all about craft beer 24 seven. Um, and that's, because I have a family. My son doesn't give a shit about beer. Like he is almost four years old. He needs a dad. Um, so that's good because it keeps you balanced. So when it comes time to work, you can hit it hard. And I think it was Austin Cleon that said, like, be, be uh, ferocious and vicious in your work so you can be uh, um, calm and serene um, when you're not working. And I always think about that too. Like, um, And yeah, sometimes it's, it's, it's time to be about that brand and, and, and grab that megaphone and do your thing. But then it's also time to go home. And I think like you talking about insanity online, you know, I, I, I don't think those people uh, necessarily need to go home. <laughs> I think that's part of the, the issue is that they, they have that time to just, um, you know, critique and banter and, and argue. And again, that's, that's great. We're not going to get into a, how strangers should be spending their time, but I think, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not there and, uh, I can't even look into that world. You know, I can't, I used to go on the beer advocate and I'm tapped in the stuff and I, I, I can't do that. We're just trying to do the best job that we can and yeah. serve the people that are into what we're doing. Yeah. I think even just, even during our time speaking, just w- even when you're talking about different concepts or, or, or approaches, it's very obvious that you're that you're committed to your vision and in your, in your path or how you see things, but that you're aware that there's others doing it different ways. And you're, you're, you're respectful of that. And so I, I think that's, that's to be commended because in a, in a way it is a business, right? And so you have to, you know, it, there is the, you know, it's hyper competitive. So, you know, we can't be all peace and love that, you know, you don't want folks to, you know, you don't care if people come to the, the buy your beer or whatnot, but to do that in a way that's true to, you know, your vision, you know, is important. And I think it's that, that, that's gets lost sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to, it's, uh, it's, it's no joke out there. There's a lot of good beer. Um, 
So Noah and I always say we focus on what we can control and change and affect and ignore the other stuff. So that's why I was like, yeah, no more, you know, I've been, it's been years since I've, you know, looked at what people are saying about our beer and things like that. Like, it's just, uh, you can't, you can't do that. You know, you can't change that. What we can change is what's going on on our work floor. How can we make this better? You know, there's a huge laundry list of improvements that we want to make both in the physical brewery as well as how we run the company. So there's, there's no end in sight. There's, there's decades of work um, to be done. And that, those are things that we can actually focus on and, and learn about and, and make better. Once you put your baby out into the world, you know, that's part of doing a business and, and making art. You know, you're not an artist if, you, if no one sees your art. You need, by definition, you need to open that shit up to public judgment and scrutiny and i think um the trick to longevity though with this stuff is you you need to let it go do your very best let something go into the world continue to make it better but then it's all right what's next you know you need to release things um and uh, i think we've we've gotten better at that at um all right we've done our very best and that's the good thing about doing um a core group of beers again and again is that they get better. Um, you know, nothing gold is getting its own can. That was a chance for me to improve the design. Um, and I'm really excited to see those babies nice and frosty and cold. Um, Noah, you know, every year I texted Noah, uh, you know, nothing gold this year tastes better to me. These beers that, that come from it for a time and then um, leave for a period and then come back, you know, the, the seasonal beers that we do, every time it comes back, our t- brewing technology has gotten better our brewing expertise has gotten better and it's like, boy, this is so fucking good. Uh, so, um, yeah, put it out there, continue to improve on it, but make your peace with it make your peace with the fact that some people just might not like it. That's okay. Um, it's, it's necessary. You know, again, there's, there's more beer being produced. I wrote about this in uh, good beer hunting. There's more beer being produced than can ever be drank or the capacity to produce more beer than could ever really be drank right now. And so, yeah, like, um, uh, it might be time to start being okay with uh, making stuff that some people might not dig, both the products and the brand experience and the, the taproom experience. Uh, yeah, if you, if you don't like Bissell Brothers, like find somewhere that you feel at home at, you know, because we're not changing. We, we can't because we've got a core group of people that love Bissell Brothers and we are not going to try to win over everyone, which is impossible nowadays. Um, we're not going to change. So and I think more people need to draw those lines in the sand. I see a lot of brews opening again with a big kind of spread of beers. You got to have an identity. You got to do something different. And um, I'm not sure that's happening as much as it needs to be in this current era with breweries still opening. And it's like, if you're not doing anything different. You, you're just adding noise. You're adding a couple logs to the fire. Um, and that might be okay now, but you know, we're, we're, this is going to start getting uh, pretty savage in the next few years. I'm not being negative. It's just a fact. Um, this was a kind of campfire sing-along for a long, long time, as is any industry that experiences sudden growth and popularity. But sooner or later, the larger economic forces are going to come home to roost as they always do. And there's going to be winners and losers big time over the next five years. 
So um, people should really think about day in, day out, how am I different than this company that could, that could be very similarly compared to me um, or us, I should say. How, how am I different? People should be thinking about this in every aspect of their business. Yeah. Yeah, I think the people moved away from the, the flagship beer, which I think was up for, you know, earlier days. That was really the kind of that was the differentiation point where you'd maybe increase mm. ca- ca- uh, increase capacity or get to a next get next next level. You know, obviously with with substance being the, the main beer for, you know, a, a while that really helped to allow for the development of others. And so I think you don't see that as much with this kind of, you know, need for one-offs, you know, and never be having mm. again and how rare is this beer and all that other, you know, you know, those beers are yeah. good. Those beers are good. I, I, I like them. And if I get to have one, that's fine. But I love my children too much to, you know, to have to trade my firstborn or all that kind of nonsense <laughs> in the secondary yeah. market. It's just early on, it was kind of, it was a fad and it was like, okay, I mean, but it just, like you were talking about before about that separation. I only have so much free time in the day. And so I'd rather, you know, I'd rather, you know, build a, Lego thing that I have no idea what we're doing or kick the ball or go on a hike with the family then you know wait in line for for six hours and again that's your thing you know I you know, that's great you know whatever brings you happiness I'm not one to judge but I just find sometimes yeah. it gets a little it gets a little silly yeah and, and um you know I feel like we uh we told that line um and I, again because towing that line for us I, I I feel really gives us a unique identity you know we do drop new beers we do do sort of what's in vogue um, as the industry sort of taken the idea of like the can double IPA one off and just totally run it into the dirt. That's important. That's what that to some degree, that's what the customer wants. Um, and I think it's funny, that type of thing speaks more to the brand than anything. You know, your beers that are a one off from, from canned IPA breweries, getting traded and stuff like that. That's the brand, man. Like that, that's the brand a hundred percent. People want something they can't have, or they want something that's rare. That's it's human nature. And, uh, it's, uh, one of the, the few very predictable aspects of human nature with respect to consumerism that it's, it's right there to, to take it's there for the taking if you want to do it. And I, I like that because again, I, I'm a huge defender of the brand, not ours. I'm just saying the concept of the brand in general, it's so important. And people are almost in denial about how important it is because we like to think that we're not influenced by advertising or marketing or, or branding, but we are. Um, but um, so yeah, anyway, to, we, we kind of told that line because Subby is still, I, I think just about 50% of our production. Um, I was just with our distributor last night. One of my best friends, Josh, he, um, he joked, you know, you know, especially in the summer, substance kegs are keeping his lights on. Um, and I, I, cause you want to build it into a classic, you know, not just Bissell brothers as a brand subby subby. This is the beer that you get when you come to Portland or the beer that the locals drink, you know, I I'm still, you know, years and years in amazed. Like, um, I think the beer tastes better than ever. It tastes more unique than ever. And it's stronger than ever. Like I, I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop and, um, uh, Subby's still ripping. I'd like to think that it, for at least like the Portland um, bar serving better beers, it has become a, a sort of a classic and something that if you're here from out of town, you definitely ask for by name. Um, I I think of you know when I when I go to Vermont, I haven't been to Vermont in a couple of years. Did we get there last year? No, no, I take it back. We were there last summer, but 
when I sit down to that first spot, you know, I'm ordering a whole firm of said Edward, you know, I'm going to get a heady can. That's what you do when you yep. go to Vermont. Yeah. And um, I think that stuff is with to, to counteract the ADD culture that's emerged in our general society, but also very observable in beer of the one-offs and the, okay, there's this beer has a name, but it's got 10 different dry hop variants. Um, to counteract that, you know, like you don't see that classic that people really lean into anymore. So I think as is, I, I think the the best course of action for us is, and, and Noah feels the same way is somewhere kind of in the middle. Uh, people want that familiarity, but other people also we crave the new and novel. So I, I would like to think that for our business and where we're located and the customers that we're serving, we're kind of towing that line and, People have the classics that they know that they can come back and get, but we also do another do enough new fun stuff to keep it interesting and uh, keep that fire kind of stoked. So, um, yeah, you you straddle that line, and again, if if you're us, other people just rely on their brand and put out new beers every week, and that's great too. If that's what your heart is speaking to you, and other people, uh, like the Alchemist, for instance. They, I know they they put out new stuff, but you know they are still riding their trifecta, their holy trinity of heady, um, focal banger, and crusher, which is that's that's fantastic. So uh, there's all these different sort of things. It's it's great. I mean, God, we went to the Alchemist last summer for our front of the house excursion, and man, what a memorable trip. Um, um, I'm just thinking out loud, having yeah. mentioned their name. What a what a great company. And, yeah. Um, uh, you know now, uh, you taste the heady. It's going to be QC'd in and dialed in to a, a level that it never has before. And um, I think that's really important. I think uh, with all these beers coming out every week that may or may never be brewed again, that are all, you know, minor hop adjustments and malt adjustments. Um, I think the next big frontier and arena of differentiation will be um, science and QC and, um, really Matt Nelson, our, um, I never know what to call him. Our scientist, our science officer, our lab manager, um, science officer is a good title. Science officer is a good title. very arbitrary yeah. at Bissell Brothers. Um, he's crushed it and that cause he comes from a laboratory background. So he is very well versed in the equipment that we need and him and Noah work closely to, uh, develop new criteria for different measurements within the beer and what's acceptable and what's not. And I do, I'm excited. I don't understand most of it, but I know that our beers are tasting better and better. And that I, I, I very firmly believe that that's going to be the next big arena or one of the next big arenas of competition is what's your DO, you know, uh, what are your, um, what are your numbers like? How shelf stable are you? Um, how dialed in, how consistent is every batch of beer that you put out? So, um, you know, it's uh, all these things go hand in hand, and there's you can't slack on one and put all your eggs in another basket. It's got to be full steam ahead with all these things. Yeah, I, I I agree. When I like I said earlier, we first started talking, we go to Harrison every summer. Now there's a few places in you know Harrison, Maine, that I can go, and they have you know substance on tap, and so it's just kind of. It's just really nice to. There's all these other beers there, and but it's just kind of like, well, I'm in Maine. I have, you know, I have to. That has to be the first beer I have. You know, obviously we'll try others, but that to me is just kind of a great. That's why I know the vacation. You know, we're a little off the grid. It's a great way to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. isn't that great? Yeah, it's a yeah. great, uh, a great feeling when you have that first sip of something that you can only get in a certain area. It's it's great. 
you're tasting memories, you know? Yeah, and I think and you've kind of tweaked my opinion on what I think about branding because you're the sensory part of it too, right? You know, it's like you were talking about the blind taste test, but you see something and it, it evokes, just like when you hear a song, it reminds you of a moment or a, a place you mm. were or a family member, right? And so yeah. I definitely, I definitely, uh, I don't know, P, I think you've changed my, you've changed my opinion a little bit here today. So I, I appreciate that. Oh, thanks. Well, I, I, again, it's not, I'm not some sage that like has knowledge that others don't, but I read a lot about this stuff. And I, when you begin reading a lot about it and, and learning about it, I mean, I'm already, I'd, I'd like to think I'm already hardwired to think about these things, but you see it out in, in the market, not just in beer and anything like, um, and they're to, to, I think, and, and I'm not trying to stereotype here, but to a certain level of beer connoisseur, um, that, you know, maybe they're a Cicerone in training or they, you know, they're very focused on the tasting or they, they, they keep a tasting journal. They almost sort of like, um, they scoff at the brand, you know, that's, that's all, oh, that's just marketing sales stuff. I'm, I'm about what's in it, but it's like, no, you, people think they can separate themselves, but they cannot. Um, and this is, again, this is not some feeling I have. This has been scientifically, scientifically proven in, in myriad, um, studies that, 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 uh, when you remove the brand of people, when you take away someone's senses, whether it's sight or, or, or smell, um, usually sight with the brain, you know, we talk about blind, blind taste tests are, are the, the prime example. Um, oftentimes they can't pick out what they purport to be their favorite beer and, um, or, or, or product, soft drink, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, and that is so telling, you know, this stuff does matter. And it, it's science. And like Neil deGrasse Tyson said, um, the good thing about science is that it's true whether you believe in it or not. So uh, um, I, I am fascinated by this stuff. I, I really am. And I, I want to do my part from this business to to give people that aspect of the experience that is memorable and um, that, you know, like that is not not divisive, but okay, this isn't for everyone because there's a million breweries in the world like this is us this is what you're going to get so yeah now yeah, we saw uh my wife's a science teacher so uh neil's a kind of a rock star in our house he's like the oh yeah yeah we saw him we saw him at one of the casinos doing his talk it was it was amazing yeah so it was uh, yeah, he's incredible. Um, so I have, probably, I have two two more questions. I could probably get to ask you questions all day, but um, be, oh, yeah. as a you know, you're you're a family run business. I think it's you know great that you you know as an older brother, you know, get to work with. If I get to work with my siblings, you know, I think while we probably you know drive each other crazy on some days, it's you know it would be it would be an exciting experience. But as a, as a father, how has that kind of changed your? And you kind of touched on it already, but how has that changed you as a? you know, as a business owner or just kind of even just as a, as an artist, like, you know, your perspective on things. Um, the, uh, the emergence of a family business. Well, just kind of, no, I was just kind of, that was a, a pretty shitty segue. I was just trying to tie it into, you know, being a dad, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, it, um, has definitely forced, I, I, not really a doctor person. Um, I have begun getting checkups and I've been sort of like monitoring my own health um, through my own means of, uh, of fitness. But I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm not uh, 
so you know i'll bet if i went to get diagnosed i would be adhd or bipolar one of these things that you hear about but i just i'm not that kind of person that goes in on that um needless to say it's really hard for me to focus and you know i've got all these things going on and it's it can be hard i've i've been doing meditation um but with when you start a family boy you know you it forces you to get the most out of the day if you want to do things like start and run businesses and do events and travel and uh kind of grow this business that's based on a product but also based on a culture and a lifestyle um it's really improved my productivity because i have to especially now with a kid that was looking for his dad at the end of the day um, you know, babies, you get a little bit more leeway. And, um, you know, my wife is, has been and continues to be just unbelievable. Um, we've got our second on the way and she's about to get done with work, um, for a period of time. Um, congrats. Totally. Yeah, congrats. Oh, thanks. Um, but you know, she's, she's been at the brewery for, for years now. And, um, but you, you gotta make that time then. And it's, that's been another thing that, sort of tied me into is to, to, to just, especially in like the white collar sort of office setting, how much work is actually being done versus how much time is being wasted. So um, the first and foremost, with respect to the business that I've seen becoming, starting a family and becoming a father is, you know, there's a 24 hours, you can get a lot done, but it's about staying focused and having a family is a big motivator to you you have to maximize what you can get done and then starting kind of the restaurant kind of on the fly um just because i i wanted one more thing <laughs> i wanted one more thing i don't know why it's it's, uh, it's kind of masochistic uh but um i did it and uh, so now it's like all right i've i and that you know has really taken off and there's all this growth opportunity and i think you know beyond graphic design my main asset to Bissell Brothers is that I develop the business, you know, when it's time to hash out the details of a growth move or, uh, I mean, Noah certainly is involved too, especially with laying out the, um, the floor of, of, of breweries and, and workspaces and whatnot. But um, I'm very much involved with the planning and execution of these business moves, which are, we're in the thick of with both businesses up, up the yin yang. So um, I've got to maximize my days and, um, I've got a kid waiting for me that wants to see me. And yeah, like some days I'm just, you know, I'll be gone before you wake up and I'll be home after you've gone to bed and that's life. My dad did it. Um, it's, it's, you got to hustle and sometimes you just gotta, but day in day out, I like to be home for dinner. Um, and I like to hang out in the morning a little bit, um, before, you know, the, the day begins and see and be with my family. So if I'm going to do those things, I better be really working during the day. Um, and so I've, I've gotten better at, okay, I'm working. And then when I'm, you know, like no more drinking, like having beers at work. Like if I'm having a beer at the brewery, I'm done for the day. You know, uh, in the early days, it was free for all. It was wild because uh, we, we were nervous and scared, didn't, didn't know what we were doing. But nowadays I'm working or I'm not working. And um, when I'm working, it's, tough if I encounter someone that is used to kind of more idle chit chat or, or hanging out because I don't got time for it. So it's like, all right, you know, I, I, um, got to keep this moving. Cause when I, when I knock off, it's for the day, you know, I used to be able to work through the night at home, but 
it's when you got a four-year-old it's when i'm home i'm, I'm home you know so um it's definitely motivated me to to be more productive yeah i remember that my boys are four and seven now so i kind of have a little more uh the, the hours aren't as crazy but yeah i just you realize a what you can do with the limited time but it's it's really when you, yeah. make, when you make a decision to do something or even i mean i love my friends but you know the choice to to go do something with the with the guys versus you know like i said going to do something with the kids it's nine times out of ten yeah. it's really hard to to convince me to to do the other you know unless they're unless you know it makes sense yeah. but yeah i i agree yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a great problem to have and uh, again, while I'm on the air here, huge shout out to my wife, Vanessa Bissell. Like I, I got no complaints. She is a amazing mother. Um, I get to have plenty of fun. I get to play at both. I get to, when it's playtime, I get to dive into the Bissell Brothers world and play and have some beers with, with friends and go to these crazy events all over the world. And when it's playtime at High Roller, we get to have these amazing times there um, with the crew there. And it's just, it's fantastic. And it, um, so many guys I know that have kids my age and are married are just don't get that type of um, play. And um, my wife is unbelievable. Uh, she knows what I need to do for work and what that sometimes will take me, either whether it's driving up and back to Milo in a day or um, going to Europe to do these beer fests. But um, um, I, I got no complaints. Um, and uh, it's, it's really, really great. So again, that, if you're going to start a family, that is such a huge part of it, you know, to, to be able to work in the beer industry as a family man does not happen unless you're part of like a solid team at home. So, um, huge, hugely lucky for that. Well, yeah, it was very, very smart, Pete. I agree. You're only as good as our better halves, right? So I think that's important. Yeah. <laughs> now you, you mentioned it, um, you know, it's like a teaser. What, you know, what can folks expect from the uh, upcoming three rivers? Uh, you know, I know that's exciting for you guys personally. It's from your, your... so we, I'll give you the late, the, the, the lowdown on, on what's going on. So we, our original 10 barrel system, which we started on at industrial way and then moved to Thompson's point with, um, has subsequently upgraded to a 20 barrel, uh, brew house, the 10 barrels up there. I mean, it's a working brewery. Noah's been brewing there since November. Um, we have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We have nine uh, fooders of various sizes, and some are new from fooder crafters, and some are very old from um, Northeast Barrel Exchange. Um, and that's been a whole other learning curve. He's rustled, you know, some of these guys are leaking. So him and the, his crew that he, that he works with are, have had their work cut out for them. You know, it's a whole new ball game. Um, so we have nine fooders, uh, a cool ship, um, in an enclosed cool ship hut, and two 30-barrel tanks, uh, or, or stainless fermenters, I should say, and a bright tank. Um, our bottling line will be arriving at some point soon, and we will be bottling um, these mixed fermentation barrel-aged beers or fooder-aged beers with various treatments, uh, some with fruit, some without, different yeasts, different uh, base beer styles. Uh, we will be bottling these in 750s, and um, we will be uh, full tap room, um, and we will be uh, doing some clean beers as well. Um, we are ordering growlers for up there. Uh, 
and we will probably be sending cans up there as well, as well as tapped beer that was produced in Portland. The one thing that people cannot expect is we're not going to be brewing beers like Lux or Substance or Umbra uh, up there. Um, although those beers, it's very likely that those beers will at times be available in cans as well as um, draft. Um, when I was in Denmark a few weeks ago, uh, I was talking with uh, Matt Tarpey from the Vale, and uh, uh, we've, he's, he's, a, he's a buddy. We've done a bunch of stuff with them. They're, they're great people, and they're doing really good beers. And he, he was talking about, um, you know, the idea. I don't want to blow the lid off their plans, but just uh, the idea of really spreading the experience of the brand. And that's I, I um, it rang true with uh, opening this uh, second location for us. It's it's a new thing. It's new and different. Any any Bissell Brothers fan down here, I would recommend they go experience it. We've I I, I know it's taking care of the uh, of the products, and I've really tried to work with you know team of subcontractors. Uh, Hester knows knows wife. Um, our own father. I really try to work with all these people that, that I touch more on uh, creating this incredible space and experience and um, uh, worth coming, coming to because there's nothing in our town. You know, there's no beer culture in our town. We're trying to create that. So, um, yeah, you're going to – people can expect um, these esoteric, funky, fruited, soured, Farmhouse beers to be on sale in, in bottles up there. And then eventually down in Portland, we will be selling the bottles as well. And then some clean beers and some hoppy beers produced up in Milo as well. Um, with some of the known Bissell Brothers portfolio on tap um, and possible cans for sale as well. We'll see how the summer goes. We're continuing to grow. So I'm, I'm pretty confident that we'll have Portland produced cans up there for sale on a pretty regular basis, but also, a lot of unique stuff that's available only there. So, and a, a taproom experience like you've come to expect from the and food too. So, but yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, is that yeah? The, yeah now the the look and feel. I mean, what's how is the the taproom going to be similar or different to the you know the current uh, Portland version? Um, um, working with a lot of our same painters as well as um. Uh, uh, Hugh McCormick, who um, is a great local designer, he I worked with him on the Milo insignia, which is a stylization of the of the trajectory of the three rivers that run through town and give the town its sort of moniker. Um, he he'll be coming up with uh, with uh, flat color and uh, whoever else ends up getting roped in. Um, so similar elements, but again, it's a unique space. Uh, the town is a history steeped in railroad. We definitely want to send the town up. Um, so there'll be some railroad artifacts. Um, the uh, I don't want to give too much away. The uh, our local metal and woodworker Pete Speed has really crushed it. And um, again, the the bar I call it the altar in Portland. You know, like that centerpiece that makes people say "Holy shit!" Uh, will I don't think disappoint. So um, I'm excited for people to get eyes on it and uh, uh, be be delighted. You know, that's what it's about. As uh, Seth Godin was the word delight. You've got to People need to be delighted, and it's never been harder to delight people at this day and age because they have a lot of options and they've seen everything before. So um, we I feel confident in saying that we're producing a facility and products that people in this area of Maine have not seen before. So 
I think it's, I think it's great, and especially being you know, your hometown. It just kind of brings the whole. Like I said, we started saying you know, your love of Maine, you know, and and family yeah. and, and your vision. I think it's just a really you know, um, I mean, it's Maine. Maine is massive, obviously, but to, to to even go further north, I mean, I think it's 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 risky, but it also shows you know that you know just how much thought and detail you know went into that decision. So I think it's uh, I'm uh, I'm excited for for that next chapter. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. Um, I, um, it it is risky, but again, no and I have. You know, we if we were going to do this out of town, it had to be Milo. Right. And That's it, what I love. It created a lot of problems. It's far away. Um, it's, but it's this is going to be so great. Um, this is going to give us a reason to spend more time there. And the older we get, especially with kids, like man, there's you see the benefits to to areas like this. And these areas, I'm not going to lie, they 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 are in hard times right now because for a lot of this past century, these small towns were law or anchored by either the railroad, um, the logging industry, or one big central factory that was sort of the, the anchor of the town and employed most of the town's workforce. Um, and that era is really passed New England by, you know, mill towns are not what they were. And, um, but these things are cyclical, right? So this is going to come back around and slowly but surely the populations in these towns are going to learn how to bootstrap and how to develop entrepreneurial tendencies and not look to big brother so much. And um, I, we are investing in that, you know, I see pockets of it all over there. When I go up there, man, I had this insane burger that was on like Portland restaurant level at this new place in Milo, my little town, like last time I was up. And, and uh, that's just one example that comes to mind. Uh, our buddies, Dustin and Natasha in Dover, uh, running Spruce Mill Farm and um, the country store that goes with it. We did a couple of beer dinners up there last month, and this food is out of control. And we're going to be working with them to do food at the Milo location. And um, um, this type of stuff is come, people want good things. Um, and they want to participate in culture. Um, these towns are just in a transitionary period where that culture is rapidly changing because, um, you know, things like the railway and these in these singular factories are largely no more. So it'll come back around. And I'd like to, th- you know, we're not going to save the world or save the town, but um, if we can get a few people coming into the town, filling up their gas tanks, um, spending money in the town on other things, like then. I'd like to think that we'll be part of the solution for the long-term future of these rural areas. Yeah. And I think that, you know, going back to those day, the earlier days, right. I think that, um, the, uh, the importance of the kind of the, the corner, you know, bar or, you know, tavern to really is a kind of a center point for community. So I really think it, it's, um, it's a really, fitting, oh, 100%. really fitting tribute. Yeah. You need, a huge market civilization is an area to the third. I, I'm very tied to the concept of the third space. Um, you work at work and you're, you have your home life at home. Um, human beings need the third meeting place. That's neither of those to have an alcoholic beverage and discuss the issues of the day. You know, that, um, that is a huge market of culture. Every community needs it, no matter how small. I agree, and I think especially now with the where we are, you know, we're on a political podcast, but the divisiveness, and you know, it, when you sit down next to somebody at a having a beer, you know, you're from different walks of life, different stories, but you know, I, I just feel that we sharing that commonality already sets a nice foundation for, you know, discourse and discussion, and you know, being able to 
agree to disagree on things. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. The last question is probably the easiest one for me. And when, uh, it's uh, a little more self-serving, but it's just about, you know, your musical taste when you're creating or kind of getting into the zone. Do you have you know certain music or artists that you listen to, or are you kind of a quiet, you know, peaceful serenity kind of guy? No, no. When it's, when it's design time. Um, so I, I'm lucky to have a, a home office, um, uh, which I'm in right now. And then my office at Bissell brothers, we've gotten walls up, so it's less noisy. Um, it depends. I, I, I do. And then we have the office at the restaurant, which is the smallest of the three. And, um, but I've, I've designed and do design work at all, all three of these locations. Um, when I really dive in and, and again, having a, a son that's getting older, I used to be able to do more work at home, but now if he's awake, it's, um, it, it can be more challenging. Um, but nighttime after he goes to bed, if I, if it's a design night, no, I'm, I'm going in on music, I'm going into the office and we're going to, we're going to work through some stuff. I'm going to have some beer, I'm going to have some smoke and we're going to, um, we're going to see what comes of it. So, uh, uh, music's definitely a part of that. Um, and it's usually a single artist that I'll just go in on um, and, and, and continue to listen to throughout the design session. All right. So what's the, what's on the most recent playlist for uh, very much obsessed with uh, black bear and mansions, his side project with uh, uh, Mike Posner. Um, definitely all I've been listening to for like the last two weeks for sure. It's, it's literally playing right now. I just have the sound down. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. Cause we'll, uh, we will queue up the, the beds in between the, the segments with some of your, your favorite tunes. So, oh yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, thanks so much, Pete. I really appreciate it. It really, uh, it was nice to, oh, thank you so to, much. to talk about um, the business uh, and learn more about you. Oh, and... I, I appreciate it so much for the interest and, uh, we'll see you guys soon. Thanks so much. All right. Talk to you. Bye Pete. All right. Keep your distance from her. There you have it, folks. Pete Bissell, 16-ounce canvas. Great insight into business, perspective, focusing on what you can control and see where things go. Hopefully you enjoyed yourself here. We thank you for checking us out each and every week here at the 16-ounce canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast. If you like what you see or like what you hear, head on over to iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcast on. Click on some of the stars. Maybe leave us a review. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Or just shoot me an email. AJ at 16ozcanvas.com I want to thank the folks over at WTNH in New Haven for coming by the gallery. I want to thank, thank Lucy Gelman for the Independent uh, featuring us there also. We've had a really great opportunities with some awesome local press. I want to thank Eric over at Connecticut Magazine, Eric Olifeg. And it's just really been a great opportunity. Remember, theartofcraftbeer.com. Tickets may still be available for the opening night. July 21st, we'll have Dan Blakesley appearing live at the gallery. Dan, as you know, is our alumni featured on episode number one. He is the creator, in my opinion, one of the Mount Rushmore of labels, Hetty Topper. And we'll be lucky enough to have the original sketch there for everyone to check out along with 10 other incredible artists who will be displaying their work at the gallery. 
and then just announced also July 22nd, right next door at the Key on Kite Tattoo Parlor and Gallery, in conjunction with the 16 ounce canvas, we'll be having a pop up beer garden with the boys over at the Beerics. So lots of good opportunities. If you're not able to get to it, if you're out of town, I want to thank everybody who has made a donation. It has not gone unnoticed. And that means I will send you your glass or t-shirt. We just need to get through this opener. But you go to theartofcraftbeer.com, $20 donation, you get yourself one of those great glasses or t-shirts. We'll figure out a way to get you both if you want to make a larger donation, but we want to thank you in advance for that. I want to thank everybody who has donated, who has purchased tickets. Hopefully by the time you hear this, you're either getting ready to go or maybe you've already been to the show. So who knows? We'd love to get your feedback. Remember to use that hashtag 16OZCanvas. If you're heading to Maine, you don't need to hear from me, but make sure you head on over to Bissell. Head on over to One Industrial Way. It's kind of the the up-and-comers, the risers, the you know the the cool Silicon Valley terms. You know, I think it's a you know an incubator of sorts. It's really great, been a great opportunity to see that grow. Especially more bang for your buck, you get to hit about five breweries, including the world-class main icon, kind of the the grandpappy of them all. Allagash right there. And so it's just a lot of fun. Maine. Maine is a great place to go. We'll see what happens with the tariffs and the lobsters. But you are listening to the 16 ounce canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast. We just had Pete Bissell, Bissell Brothers, episode 69. We thank you once again. It's been a good week. Life's pretty good. You can always find something to complain about. But right now, you can't see it, but. Got a pretty big smile. I'm happy. I'm about to go crack a subby. So until next week, see you guys. Later. <laughs>